coming up in the next couple months uh, is the annual Miss America pageant. I don't know if that's something that you and your family watches or not. Uh, it's okay to admit if you do. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I, I remember uh, growing up as a kid, that was something that uh, we always watched as a, as a family. And I always found myself rooting for the Midwestern states, you know, which I, yeah, I think us Midwesterners have to kind of band together against the coasts, right? Or at least I, I felt that as a kid. I, don't know, I think I still would lean that way. But, um, but anyway, part, part of the pageant every year is uh, the interview portion. And so it's, uh, it's during this time that each contestant is asked a question and then, you know, judged on the answer that they give to that question. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movie... Miss Congeniality, but it's a movie where an FBI agent goes undercover at the Miss America pageant, and, and there's this funny bit during the movie where the contestants are asked in their interview, uh, what is the one most important thing that society needs? You know, kind of what we might think of as a typical Miss America pageant question. What's the one most important thing our society needs? And I thought I could describe it, and I said, well, maybe we could just watch that clip. So it's just a real short clip. Let's, let's see how they responded to it. World peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. Uh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why the audio was off there, but uh, now when you watch the actual pageant, the answers to the questions are much more in-depth and have more substance than just <laughs> world peace. But, but, you know, that bit from the movie, I think, it, I think it does shine light on a truth about our world, is that there's a definite lack of peace in every corner of the globe, isn't there? And, and it's not just nation fighting against a nation or tribe against tribe. Uh, every single individual person on earth, whether they recognize it or not, they desire peace and they strive for peace. And so I, I think maybe a valid question to ask is if everyone on earth desires and strives for peace, why is there such a lack of peace? I mean, if we're all truly pursuing that and we want that, why is there such a lack of peace? And I think that's a question that, that will be answered for us as we continue working through uh, James like we've been doing. So I'd encourage you to open to James chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 13, where we left off last week. And, and in verse 13, James shifts from talking about the tongue, which Pastor Tim preached on last week, to talking about two different kinds of wisdom. Now, now we've talked extensively in, uh, in this sermon series about the connection between faith and works. James has made the case over and over again that true living faith shows itself by its works. 
A dead faith will show itself by its lack of works. So, so all one has to do in order to discern whether faith is dead or alive is to examine the works, examine the outcomes of that faith. So it is with wisdom that James is going to describe. All one has to do to determine whether wisdom, the wisdom being followed is false wisdom or true wisdom, or wisdom from below or wisdom from above, which we'll be using that language this morning, all one has to do is to, to examine the outcomes, to see what kind of wisdom it is being followed. So, so follow along with me, and we'll, we'll see what James says here. Chapter 3, verse 13. He asks this question. He says, Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be a disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What James is saying is that, that true wisdom within a person, true wisdom which comes from God will be seen by its attitudes and actions that, that are produced in a person's life. But just like true wisdom produces fruit, so does false wisdom. And it's what James is highlighting here. And, and I think we, we, we might follow his line of thought this morning by utilizing a helpful analogy. So, so imagine your life, and, and, and I can imagine my life, as the soil in which different types of seeds are planted. We can think about it that way. Um, it wouldn't be unlike the parable of the soils, which Jesus told during his life on earth, except in this example, the difference lies not in the kinds of soil, but the different seeds that are planted. So we'll be focusing on that. So, so in the first scenario, the seed sown in the soil of our lives is a certain kind of wisdom. And in verse 15, James describes that wisdom being not from above, or, or we might say wisdom from below, just to make it flow a little better. So wisdom from below. And James describes that wisdom with three adjectives in verse 15. He says that kind of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And, and I would say those three adjectives represent the three different enemies that Christians face. Earthly, the, the world outside of us. Uh, unspiritual would be our own sinful nature within us. And then demonic referring to Satan himself who opposes us. So, so when we think about those things, James would say wisdom from below is earthly or worldly, we might call it. It's a way of thinking and acting that, that aligns with the things of the fallen world, the things that our fallen world considers important. So we might list power, fame, wealth, 
pleasure, I mean, all those things that we are told by the world are quite important. And it's this earthly wisdom which whispers into our ears that those are the things that we ought to be pursuing. That power, fame, wealth, pleasure, that, that's what we ought to go after. That ought to be the end goal. And, and as such, then whatever needs to be done to achieve those things ought to be done. Doesn't matter if people get hurt in the process, doesn't matter the path to get there, those things must be pursued. The promise is that peace comes when at least one of those things is attained. That's what earthly or worldly wisdom would say to us. Now, we can see that all over the place. TV commercials proclaim this earthly wisdom, right? Peace, better life will come through whatever they're advertising, right? Whatever they're selling. Um, Hollywood proclaims that earthly wisdom to us. Pornography proclaims that earthly wisdom to us. Workplace success proclaims that earthly wisdom. You know, if we just attain those things, then we'll find the peace that we're desiring. And I think Paul makes note of this type of wisdom in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. So I think what Paul's saying is he's saying, look around at all, you know, the wisdom being proclaimed to you by the world. He said, really, it's, it's folly before God. So, so wisdom from below that James talks about can be defined as earthly, urging the pursuit of those things that are considered important in our fallen world. But wisdom from below can also be described as unspiritual, like James says. And, and another way to say that is, is wisdom that is not of the spirit, but wisdom of the sinful flesh, of our sinful desires within us. And again, Paul, I think, talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, The natural, or the fleshly person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So wisdom of the flesh comes from our fallen intellect and our fallen passions and our fallen desires. It leads us to make decisions based upon what feels good to us, or it, makes us, it leads us to make decisions based upon what makes sense to us or what we want to have happen to us. It's wisdom that is taking its cue from our inner inner desires. And consequently, it's wisdom that can really only be found then with inside of ourselves. It, it, it's why unspiritual or fleshly wisdom is, is so difficult to nail down in any kind of objective way. It's because wisdom that one person finds inside of themselves might be completely different from what another person finds inside of themselves. It, it's wisdom that is very subjective in nature. But James says that this, this unspiritual, this fleshly wisdom is not from above either. It too is from below. And then the third uh, adjective he uses, James says that wisdom from below is demonic. So referring to wisdom that comes from our demonic enemy, Satan. It is that which Satan speaks into our lives in an attempt to destroy us. 
And it's that kind of wisdom that can make alcohol and drug use look so appealing. It's that kind of wisdom that can push a person to seek peace through suicide. That kind of wisdom that would encourage us to reject God, claiming that God is against us, and so we ought to be against him. It's, it's demonic wisdom that deceives us and, and puts us on a path that leads us away from God. So James would say all of that is wisdom from below. It's not from above. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. And so if we go back to that seed analogy, what grows when the seeds of wisdom from below are planted and cultivated, watered in our lives? I think it's just what James says here. Jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, uh, every vile practice. In other words, not peace. It's not peace. I mean, earthly wisdom promises peace, but, but can't deliver. Unspiritual, fleshly wisdom promises peace and can't deliver. Demonic wisdom promises peace, but can't deliver peace. And so what we can know is that, that the wisdom that is from below, when it's planted in our lives and when it grows, it, it will show itself by what it produces. All we have to do is look at the fruit that is born. But just like with the wisdom that is from below, so too the wisdom that is from above shows itself by what it produces. It works the same way. And so, so, so what is this wisdom that is from above? Or, or if you're looking at the NIV translation, it would say wisdom from heaven. Uh, it, it's the wisdom that comes from God himself. It's the wisdom that leads us to live in a way that's in line with God's image of himself that has been stamped upon each of us. And, and we, are, we are so blessed to live in a time where we have this wisdom so accessible to us in the written word of God. This has not been the case for all of history that you had your own personal Bible. That you, I mean, one, if you'd be able to read at all, but two, then to have the Bible to be able to go and take in that wisdom from above. It, it, is, it is such a blessing to us. And, and this wisdom is spread all throughout the Bible, but, but, but there are places in the Bible where it is especially concentrated. And so we think of books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, um, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, um, the early chapters of 1 Corinthians that I've mentioned a couple times this morning, and, and, and James's letter, which we've been studying. There's, there's it's kind of a concentration, especially, of this wisdom from above. It's, it's the wisdom of God which, which leads us not to a place of earning our salvation. Remember, that's not ever what James is talking about. But to a place of peace in this life as a result of our salvation. The wisdom from above will lead to peace as a result of our salvation. Now, now too many times, the gospel is presented as something which only brings us peace between us and God. The, the, the focus is solely upon that vertical relationship. 
Um, and make no mistake, it does bring us peace between us and God. The vertical component is very much part of the peace that comes through the gospel. But as the gospel transforms us, it is also meant to bring us peace here on this earth in the vertical, or excuse me, the horizontal sense. So peace between us and others now, not, not just on the new earth someday, but now. Peace within ourselves, and not just on the new earth someday, but now. The gospel is meant to bring that peace here and now. So, so what grows when the seeds of wisdom from above are planted and cultivated and watered in our lives, in the soil of our lives? Peace. And again, not just with God, but peace in, in all facets of our lives. But here's the thing. Because God allows us to choose how we will then live after coming to know him and accept him, it's not guaranteed that we will put that wisdom from above into practice and find the peace that results. It is entirely possible for our gaze to shift to the wisdom that is from below and seek to find peace by planting those seeds in our lives. Which leads us right into James chapter 4. After James spelled out these two kinds of wisdom, one that's from above, the one that's from, abelo- from below, and he talked about the outcomes of each, he described then what he saw among the recipients of his letter. So let's look at the first three verses of chapter 4. And remember, these are believers that James is writing to. So how does he describe what he sees? Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So how, what does James describe there when he looks at, at the recipients of his letter? Quarrels, fights, war, murder, coveting. I looked in the thesaurus just to be sure. None of those are synonyms for peace. <laughs> They're not. When James, what he saw, when he, when he looked at the situation in which those believers found themselves, was a situation lacking peace. And really, it's not just limited to the believers then, right? We can't just shake our head at them and say, man, oh, they, they just, they're way off base there. Uh, you know, there have been times throughout the history of the church where peace has been quite lacking among God's people. And, and an honest look at Jesus' church today will reveal people who are lacking peace among themselves. For example, election day in our country is nine days away. And in the realm of politics, there are some of God's people who are regularly showing themselves to be lacking peace. 
I mean, the church, there are churches being wrenched apart due to political fighting. And, and it's not just churches that, that are, are comprised of both Republicans and Democrats, right? The, there are churches that would lean predominantly one way or the other, but they're still fighting about whether, whether being too vocal or not vocal enough, you know, regarding the preferred candidates and policies. I mean, and if you don't believe me, let, let, let's test the fruit, right? That's all we have to do is test the fruit. So, so which list from today best describes the way American politics is showing itself quite often within the church? So purity, peace, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, or quarrels, fights, War. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think James would would look at the church in America today and point out, uh, as a whole, we are lacking peace in this area. And, and you know, that's one example. That the, the same can be the same can hold true for more uniquely church matters. You know, politics is kind of an entire culture matter. Um, there are uniquely church matters where, where peace can, can be lacking as well. For example, to use a term from, from uh, uh, the last 20 or 30 years, worship wars. I mean, it's in the name of that one, right? There, there are churches that are wrenched apart because, because the, uh, one group would desire one kind of songs, another group would desire another, a different type of songs. And, and it's not as common today as it maybe was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, uh, but, but, but it is still a thing. It is definitely still a thing. And again, you know, what, what is the fruit which leads to that type of, of uh, arguing, side-taking uh, over music? And again, is it, is it purity, peace, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere? Or is it quarrels, fights, war? I mean, uh, again, it, it's... It's lack of lack of peace stemming from wisdom from below, as opposed to wisdom from above. And and, and to be fair, at our, our particular church, us here at EBC, we, we've not been wrenched apart due to those two specific things. But but those two things have and still can show themselves among us, right? It can it can can crop up. There, there's not always complete peace in our midst in those two areas. And so, if we're going to truly take James's words to heart this morning and experience peace that's available through the gospel of Jesus, we have to be willing to take an honest look at ourselves. And, and of course, that includes honestly looking corporately at things, right, like, like we just talked about, but also honestly looking within ourselves to identify areas where we individually might be lacking peace. Um, I, I, we can safely say that any time a follower of Jesus or, or a group of followers of Jesus lacks peace, there's a reason for it. There's a reason, there's a cause that, that there's not peace there. And, and James went on to address the cause. And, and I got to warn us, it, it can be hard to read. Um, this is what James says, chapter 4, verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, see what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, James is provocative here. I mean, he tells the believers they are adulterers. I mean, the description of an adulterer is someone who's married to one person and yet has sex with another person. I, I mean, that, they're trying to, uh, trying to have what they think is the best of both worlds. An adulterer is someone whose loyalties are torn in two different directions. And James says, you adulterous people. He says, you're friends of the world, but you're people who've entered into a covenant with God, and yet you're sleeping with the world. I mean, that's the language that he's using here. I mean, remember, James gave us a clear comparison of wisdom from below and wisdom from above. And the believers that he's writing to thought that they could, they could have both, right? They thought they could plant seeds of wisdom from above in this area over here, plant seeds from wisdom from below in this area over here, and, and reap nothing but peace. It seems like they thought that's what they could do. But what they failed to recognize is that, that a, a wisdom from below plant and a wisdom from above plant they can't coexist in the same soil, right? They don't play nicely. They don't each grow in their own little space. So it's not like when you plant carrots and onions, and they're both going to stay right there, right? If you've ever planted either one of those, where you plant them is where they stay. It's more like planting cucumbers next to pumpkins. And if you've planted either one of them, you know that they'll both take over the entire garden <laughs> would be the goal. That's what it's like, planting wisdom from below next to wisdom from above. Friendship with the world, uh, James writes, is enmity with God. Peace is intended by God to spread across our entire lives. It is supposed to function that way. Jealousy and selfish ambition are intended by Satan to spread across our entire lives. He wants it to function that way. They can't exist together in the, in the same garden, in the same soil. God doesn't want to just bring peace to this little teeny tiny area of our lives. Uh, he wants to overwhelm us with peace. I, I th that's why it says in verse 5 that he yearns jealously over us. He's not happy with just a, bringing peace to a little portion of us. He wants to give us full peace. It's why God opposes those who are proud in the hopes that they might recognize the error of their posture. It's why he gives grace to the humble because they're ready to receive that wisdom from above which will grow and produce peace. So if we think about ourselves, if, if, if you and I are planting the seeds of wisdom from below in our lives, wisdom that's earthly, unspiritual, demonic, those seeds will grow and will spread and will bear fruit. And our garden will be lacking in peace uh, while overflowing with jealousy and selfish ambition. You know, and I think about, it's like cucumbers, right? When they're in season and you want to get rid of them and nobody will take them, like nobody wants it, right? I mean, 
I think that's what, that's what our life can be like. We'll have all this jealousy and selfish ambition, but nobody's going to want that from us. But on the flip side, if, if we plant seeds of wisdom from above in our lives, God's wisdom, those seeds too will grow and will spread and will bear fruit. And our garden will be lacking in jealousy and selfish ambition, but overflowing with peace. Maybe like a watermelon that's so sweet that we just can't stop eating it because it's so refreshing. Peace will be produced when we plant that wisdom from above. But the question is, how do we, how do, we do that? How, do we, how, how does our garden, how does our, sorry if I'm overusing that terminology, but really driving it home this morning, how, 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 do, how does that happen in our lives? How does our garden come to look like that? How do we tend it in that way? Uh, James kind of goes rapid-fire mode on us in these last verses. So, so get ready, starting in chapter 4, verse 7. It's just one right after the other. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. So there's quite, there's quite a few commands there, and we'll, we'll go through them a little more slowly. The, the first and the last commands in that list bookend the whole thing, and they, they summarize the whole thing. If we're going to reap a harvest of peace grown from the seeds of God's wisdom, then we must be humble before God. We must submit ourselves to him. We must live out God's ways and commands in the Bible, even if we don't understand them or his reasoning behind them or, or even when they're difficult, living those things out. You know, so for example, it means that even though earthly wisdom would tell me to get even with someone and, and my fleshly desires want me to get even with someone, I listen to the wisdom from above and offer forgiveness instead. I mean, God, God is the, the master gardener, and, and when we tend to the soil of our life according to his ways and plant the seeds of wisdom from above, we're going to find that peace in our lives. But if instead of being humble and submitting to him and his ways, if we want to do things our own way according to the wisdom from below, he'll let us. He's given us free will to do that. But we're not going to find the peace that we desire. So second, another thing James says is we plant seeds of God's wisdom by resisting the devil. And I think this is the other side of the same coin from what we just talked about, uh, being humble for, before God, submitting to him. Resisting the devil. The, the devil can sometimes be presented as this incredibly strong force for evil who holds immense power and sway over us. But the truth is, in Christ, the devil flees from us when we simply resist him. He flees from us. We don't even have to land a fatal blow. I mean, Jesus has already done that. All we have to do is resist him in Jesus' name, and he flees. And so Peter gives us this same command in 1 Peter 5. 
Paul encourages us in Ephesians 6 by showing that God has equipped us with every piece of equipment needed for that resistance. We resist the devil. The seeds of God's wisdom are planted in our lives when we resist the devil, when we cast him out and the seeds that he wants to plant in our lives. Now, third, James says we plant the seeds of God's wisdom by drawing near to him. And, and, and this is, I mean, such a simple concept, isn't it? Uh, how do we draw near to anyone? How do we draw near to another person? We converse with them, we, we spend time with them, share inner thoughts with them. Um, and it's the same with God. It, it, it's, not, it's not any different. But unlike with people, here's the good thing. We can be certain that when we draw near to God, he too is drawing near to us. It's not always that way with people, right? I mean, if you can think back to a dating relationship you might have had where you, you might have desired to go to a new depth, but you're not quite sure if the other person is drawing near to you in that, <laughs> in that same way or not. There's kind of some concern about that, some, some nerves and anxiety. You know, we're not sure what to do. We don't want to scare them away. When we find ourselves wanting to go deeper with God, he wants to do that with us as well. Without a doubt, when we draw near to him, we'll find that he's already drawing near to us. And again, it's, it's the same ways as with, as with another person. Uh, fourth, we plant seeds of God's wisdom by repenting of evil actions and attitudes, finding cleansing in Jesus. When James writes about cleansing hands and, and purifying our heart, uh, I think he's speaking to both external acts and internal attitudes. The hands being the external actions, the hearts being the internal attitudes. If we're, if we're going to plant the seeds of God's wisdom, we've got to recognize those evil actions and those evil thoughts as the invasive weeds that they are. Um, but, just like I can never fully and completely rid the garden in my backyard of weeds... And I've tried, <laughs> but we can't do it completely. In our own strength, we, we can't rid the soil of our lives completely of evil actions and attitudes. Again, on our own, we must be cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus. That's how we find that cleansing. We can desire God's wisdom all we want, but, but unless our sinful nature is put to death in Christ— it won't matter. It won't matter. And, and that can be done only by Jesus. It's the only way. We must come to him in repentance, initially, but continually. Continually. Those, those seeds of wisdom from below can sneak into our soil at any time. They're coming at us from different directions. We are as in need of Jesus' work in our lives today as we were the first time that we came to him. We're as in need of repentance today as we were then. And then finally, we, we plant seeds of God's wisdom by mourning over the fruit of jealousy and selfish ambition that have been previously produced in our soil. And I think this goes hand in hand with the repentance uh, that, that James has just talked about. As we mourn over the fruit of the seeds of wisdom from below, 
I think we'll find ourselves desiring it less and less. We'll be, the temptation to plant and, and cultivate those seeds will weaken in our lives and we'll be quicker to return to Jesus when those have taken root and, and ask him to remove those from us. And then conversely, as, as we mourn over bad fruit, I think we'll find our desire for good fruit, for peace, growing stronger and stronger. We'll find ourself, ourselves longing to plant those seeds and those alone because we've been created to live in that peace. And once we get a taste of that peace, that's all we want. So I, I told you that was kind of rapid fire. I mean, James throws a lot of things at us right at the end there. Be humble, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, repent, find cleansing, mourn over the bad fruit. But that is what allows gospel peace, right? Peace from God to grow and reproduce in our lives. And again, not just peace between us and God. It's not just that vertical peace, but it's the horizontal peace as well. Peace between us and others. Peace within ourselves too. So I I thought we could end this morning by... Let's take just a moment and, and uh, to ourselves, consider an area in our lives that is lacking peace. Um, j- j- just bring that to the front of your mind at the moment. Where, where am I lacking peace in my present situation? And I think what James would say is that, that we're lacking peace there because, because the wrong kind of wisdom, wisdom from below, has, has been planted in our soil, whether we did that intentionally, whether it has just snuck its way in, or for whatever reason, he would say that there's that kind of plant growing there. And, and it's good to, to look, at our, look at our situation and ask, how or where might that have happened? Again, is that something I put there? Is it something that I've subconsciously come to believe that, that now this, this wisdom from below is, is sprouting in my life? Whatever it is, we've got to know that those plants can't coexist with the wisdom from above plants. Can't. Those wisdom from below plants must be removed. And again, I I think we can consider the solution James presents in those last four verses, those different things that that he gives to us. We can let those things guide us and instruct us as we as we seek to have the fruit of peace overwhelm our life. The incredible news is that peace from God in our lives is available to us. We might look at our lives, we might look at the world around us and just say, where is peace ever going to come from? It can. It can come, and it's been promised to us. Jesus died on the cross that we might find peace. And, and again, I, I've said it already, once we've tasted it, there's no going back. There is no going back once we experience that peace. We will recognize it as one of the most incredible blessings from God in this life. And so I, w- I would encourage you, I would encourage myself today to plant those seeds of God's wisdom, those seeds of wisdom from above in our lives, 
that we might have peace growing and spreading and overwhelming us in every facet. Again, not just small parts and pockets and and some situations, but all of our lives. It doesn't mean that trouble never comes, right? It doesn't mean that there's never any difficulty, but that there can be peace within that. And that that peace is, again, found in God, produced by his wisdom planted within us. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's come to God, come before him this morning. And pray that, that he would do that. Father, we're here this morning, and, and we recognize that, that these two kinds of wisdom are, are regularly presented to us. God, would you, would you give us the, the discernment that we need, the, the strength that we need, that, that we might find our gardens overwhelmed by the plants that are the wisdom from above plants. God, I know, I know that each one of us desires peace. We're created for it, and, and we've lost it because we live in a fallen world, and that's, that's one of the effects of sin. But you have come, you have given yourself, you've sacrificed yourself on the cross that that peace might return. This great concept of the Old Testament word shalom. God, would you would you guide us in this? Would you remove the those plants that shouldn't be there? Would you guard us from the the wisdom from below? And God, I, I, I thank you in advance for the peace that will be produced through your wisdom through your work in our lives. It is such a blessing, God. It's one of the reasons that, that we worship you, that we give ourselves to you. God, I thank you for your love for us, that you didn't just leave us where you found us, but that you brought us to yourself. God, it's why we are here. It's why we worship and praise you this morning.